Good morning, Victory family and friends. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice and we are glad in it. My name is Paul, and I'm privileged to serve as pastor of Victory Church, where we exist to see people reconciled to God and to each other. I am so grateful that you have joined us today in worship, and I want to give a shout out to all of the Victory ministry team coordinators, every Victory group leader, for continuing to serve and lead as unto the Lord. And to that end, every volunteer or participant in those groups, we, we are the church. Without you, there is no us. Grateful for every single one of you. Today, we're going to continue in our sermon series entitled Mental Health Matters. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that helps us to see how we might better love our neighbors. Uh, <clears throat> next week, we're going to cap off this series with Dr. Kimberly Tickle, a local Charlottesville psychiatrist who is going to help us talk about faith and mental health, particularly in the midst of this crisis. And so I hope you'll come back and join us uh, as we conclude this sermon series. Today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Uh, before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to read and share your word. I pray according to your word, Psalm 119 and 18, that you would open up our eyes so that we may see all of the wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 reads this way. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love the Lord. I'm sorry, love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Roberts, of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The title of the message this morning is Neighbors Matter. Neighbors Matter. Uh, and there are three points that I want to highlight in this text. The first is that pride prolongs progress. Secondly, privilege promotes passivity. And thirdly, proper perspective prompts proper pity. You might remember uh, me telling the story from last October. It was Halloween. Uh, Trick-or-treating got canceled because of this pending storm. Sure enough, the wind came, took out our power. Our internet was out. And, uh, and so I 
having some work that I needed to get done. Uh, after the kids were down, I, I asked my wife if I can go into work, and I did to the office where we still had internet, and I'm doing work only to get a call about an hour in from my wife saying, some loud bang just happened outside. There are lights outside our window. I don't know what's going on. Not the call you want to get. I hang up. I rush home. Sure enough, all of the lights were all of our neighbors outside with flashlights. They flagged me down, show me where I can park, which wasn't in our driveway. And they said, Paul, you're not going to make it to your driveway because there's a huge tree that fell down. And so one of my neighbors sees this look on my face of just wanting to get home. He says, hey, let me walk with you. Good neighbor. So he's showing me with the flashlight where to walk, where not to walk. And then we get to this point where we see all of these wires laying on the ground. And it was almost like uh, my neighbor saw like the, the, the scariest ghost from childhood. He stopped and he was like, uh, I think I'm gonna go home now. Good luck. <laughs> and I'm standing there frozen, watching him go home, looking down now at pitch blackness, somehow hopping my way over these wires to get to the door and get to our family, which thankfully our family, as well as everybody else was okay. No physical harm. Some cars damaged, but thankfully no physical harm. I imagine the truth is for all of us, we have experienced the benefit of a good neighbor. Even when they quit mid-stride. No, just kidding. But the benefit of having a neighbor who comes to your aid, as my neighbors did, to help me get home. And conversely, we perhaps have had the experience of, uh, 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 the painful experience, likely, of a neighbor who wasn't the neighbor we thought he or she could and perhaps should have been. And in this text today, we, we see an example of what it looks like to be a good neighbor in this parable that Jesus is telling. And, and to zoom out for a quick moment, this parable is a part of the larger book of Luke, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, it is written by <clears throat> the physician Luke, man after my own heart, by vocational. He's a physician and he's a, a missionary companion of the Apostle Paul. And he's writing this book, which is kind of volume one of two volumes, Luke and Acts, uh, are, are both written by the physician Luke. And, and uh, it's written like a letter to a man named Theophilus. Though clearly it's written to a broader audience as well, likely the Gentile churches that he's helping to better understand their identity in Christ. The overall theme of uh, Luke and Acts is that the great plan of salvation is being fulfilled in the events of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension, and that it's continuing to unfold today, even in the growth and expansion of the church. And Luke goes to great lengths to describe Jesus's travel into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the Gospel of Mark spends about one chapter on it. Luke here spends 10 in the book of Luke. And in that 10 chapters, he's sharing parables, which are earthly stories with spiritual meanings. Uh, and and they, they illustrate God's love for all of us, but particularly those on the margins of society, like sinners, outcasts, the poor. And in this text, prior to him sharing the parable that we just read, he, he's approached by an expert in the law of Moses, one to whom people would go, no doubt, to have it explained by him. And this lawyer, if you will, decides that he's going to pretend like he really wants to be instructed by Jesus when really he's just trying to trick him or trap him or perplex him, which leads to our first point, which is pride prolongs progress. I was going to say pride 
makes us do stupid, but I thought that might be a little harder, so I'm just throwing that in, but in the official notes, it's a lot softer. Pride prolongs progress. He's wasting valuable time because of his pride, thinking somehow he's going to perplex or trip up Jesus. Not unlike the scribes and Pharisees in John chapter 8, when the woman caught in adultery was brought to him by them, and they said she should be stoned, right? What do you think? All in an attempt to trap him. In this text, the lawyer is asking this question. How does one inherit eternal life? In other words, how is one saved? And Jesus being the master teacher that he is, the amazing dispenser of grace, no doubt knows what's happening and what this gentleman is trying to do. He implements the Socratic method before there ever was a Socratic method. And he flips the question back on him and says, what do you see in the law? How do you read it? Just kind of like my kids when during this homeschooling season, which for us is different and new uh, and temporary, prayerfully, uh, they're asking me questions about their work. And I'm always like, what do the directions say? Though, unlike Jesus, uh, I'm asking because I kind of want to hear them again myself <laughs> so I can understand what it is. Like my pride now is prolonging their progress. I see you parents. Don't look at me funny. I imagine that y'all are dealing with the same thing. Like what? Is, I don't remember any of that. Can't help you. Ask mom, ask your Zoom, your teacher, something. What do you see? Jesus says. And in verse 27, it says he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, then in verse 28, you've answered correctly. Now go do this and you will live. Again, with my own kids, after they, <laughs> they read the directions and I, you know, I have them like read it out loud, like read it out loud. And after they read them, I say, that, do that. What the directions say? <laughs> but this lawyer wanting to justify himself after Jesus then says, you've correctly answered, go do this and you will live. He says, because pride prolongs progress, pride makes you do stupid. He says to Jesus in verse 29, okay, well then, who is my neighbor? I don't know if he's trying to necessarily justify, and he might be justifying what was his initial question, or maybe trying to justify that he is adhering and has been faithful to the law in terms of his loving his neighbor, which for him probably meant his own people. But I do know that Jesus is trying. He's trying to help him get a proper view of his sinfulness. And his departing from the very law that he is thinking he's keeping so well. And this is the point where if you had a stone in your hand ready to throw at this gentleman, I'm hoping you're putting it down. Because can't we find ourselves there too? Jesus trying to help us see, uh, help us to see ourselves for who we are. And the sinful nature that we embody here in this flesh. Every sinner, all of us, has a way of bringing down the law of God to our own standard instead of framing our lives according to the standard set. Which I am not saying means we've got to somehow work our way to the righteousness. It was always, always about his grace. By his grace, through our faith, we're saved. And certainly in this process of sanctification, becoming more right and, 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 and working out our soul, salvation in Christ, becoming more like Jesus... It's not about us working. It's still by his grace. And Jesus, in his infinite grace, when many of us probably would have just been like, you know what? Go on. He says, you know what? Let me tell you a story. And the story he tells them, this parable, is, is 
this earthly story with a spiritual meaning. In many ways, it's allowing him to be a judge in his own case. So he tells him a story that brings truth to his doorstep, which when we talk about mental illness and, and serving the needs of those who have a mental illness better, and, and even more broadly, the needs of our society and the people uh, in our society, uh, it, it's, it's sometimes helpful, though I think a sad commentary all at the same time, to then show how this is affecting you too, <laughs> directly or indirectly. Jesus is telling the story, bringing the truth to his doorstep. And why? Because, secondly, privilege promotes passivity. And by privilege, I mean an unearned, unearned special advantage that is experienced by an individual or a group. And when privilege is the case, it can lead to passivity, which is the acceptance of a, a reality without a response or appropriate resistance. And privilege promotes passivity. And so Jesus tells a parable that comes right to where he is living. He describes in this parable a man that is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is about a 15-mile trek, and according to scholars, a frequently traveled path. Though on this path also there were some spots that 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 robbers clearly could hang out and unexpectedly wreak havoc on passerbys. And I was in college some years ago. Uh, my parents decided they would move from our my childhood home on Long Island to the Bronx, where our church had always been. Uh, and I'm the youngest at four, so there was nobody really left in the house uh, to, to go to the schools um, for which they were paying crazy taxes. So they went and moved to the Bronx, closer to the church. And so uh, 19, 20, 21 year old, when I was coming home, I was going to the Bronx. That was home. And so I'd get on the Greyhound. Anybody remember Greyhound? And I'd catch a little nap with my one eye open. Uh, and I'd get up to 42nd Street, Port Authority, I hop on the A train, took me to the D train, uh, which got me on the Grand Concourse and to Tremont Avenue. 11, 11.30, sometimes midnight, uh, but it's New York City, so it's people are out. Frequently traveled space, Tremont Avenue going down the hill, and this frequently traveled space did still have these pockets that I was very aware of where things could happen. And so I was particularly aware, uh, uh, in general I was, but especially going through those spots that I was not in Charlottesville anymore <laughs> and that I, I needed to be a bit savvy. And so without fail, every time I walked through this one spot, and there was always a group of guys there. There was always some sort of interaction. And typically it ended with me saying, oh, man, I'm good. I'm just trying to get home. God bless you. Uh, and this one time, though, I'll never forget, uh, uh, in response to that, they said, you scared? <laughs> and I looked back, I said, ain't nobody scared, man. I'm just trying to get home. Blessings to you. And I'm walking, it's, it's like the middle of winter, but I'm drenched like it's mid-July. My heart rate is up. I mean, scared? Yes, because they could have done anything they wanted to me. Frequently travel, though, a spot on the road. No doubt like this man found himself in, in this travel, that, that anything could happen unexpectedly and quickly. Harm could have been done. But unlike me, traveling on Tremont Avenue maybe every few months as I came home for breaks, Priests and Levites, they traveled this often. Many lived in Jericho, but they had business in Jerusalem. And so they were always going back and forth, which made it then more understandable how in verse 31, it said the priest happened to be going down the same road because it was it was a common thoroughfare. It was it was a path commonly traveled. And that same road then that this man traveled when he was attacked by robbers, the priest was on. And a quick parenthetical, ministry 
is, is on the road. Yes, we believe in missions overseas and sending people and sending funding, but ministry is on your way to the coffee shop. Ministry is on your way to work. Ministry is on that commonly traveled road. People are being robbed by life's circumstances all around us. Verse 31, it says, when he saw him, he went to the other side of the road. Privilege promotes passivity. I don't know if it was just like, hey, I ain't got nothing to do with this, none of my business, or I have things to do. It's not bothering me. It's not affecting me. I don't know, but I know he was out. <laughs> Brother went to the other side of the road. Verse 32, it says, then a Levite who just like the priest were from the tribe of Levi. They had responsibilities at the, uh, uh, at the temple, uh, uh, typically assisting uh, the priest uh, in their particular duties of religion. But it says he too saw the man, but passed by on the other side of the road as well. And some scholarly critics suggest that, uh, though not made explicit in the text, that the Levite actually came up to take a closer look and then he bounced. Privilege promotes passivity. And privilege can look a lot of different ways. You, me, we too can walk on the other side of the road, particularly as it relates to mental illness. We can walk on the other side of the road by saying things like, you're taking off from work for that? That's not like everything else. We can walk on the other side of the road by saying, you probably just need to pray harder. Yeah, mm -hmm. you probably just need to uh, have a little bit more faith. We can walk on the other side of the road. We can walk on the other side of the road by saying, depression, come on, snap out of it. Or we can walk on the other side of the road, as I mentioned in previous weeks, by saying, what did you do? Certainly you have done something to deserve this. We can walk, even in the church, on the other side of the road from people we look at in their eyes who need our help. But here's the good news. Point number three, the good news is that proper perspective prompts proper pity. And I say proper pity because there's a use of pity today that might imply a condescending look or tone. And that is not the one we see here in this text. This pity is a godly sorrow, a, an empathy, if you will. And proper perspective prompts that proper pity. Here we have a Samaritan who, who didn't have much privilege at all in this space. The one who's actually from uh, uh, of a race or group of people that was most hated by the Jews. This Samaritan had a proper perspective that prompted proper pity, overcame whatever hostility there was amongst people in that space. And he saw a neighbor. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which then was used in medicine to heal wounds. And if I can just step away from mental illness, even for a moment and just kind of broaden that scope, if you will. Many of us and many of our neighbors are beaten down, as I said before, by life's circumstances. The myriad of life circumstances that we walk through and what we don't need and what we don't want to be in those circumstances are the neighbors who walk to the other side of the road. The neighbors who, who, who say to the poor, you know what, maybe you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The neighbors who say, maybe you shouldn't have worn what you wore that night and, and then the sexual assault may not have happened. Neighbors who say racism, that's a thing of the past. Certainly you must have done something to warrant that harassment. No, we want to be a good neighbor. And like a good neighbor, better than State Farm, this Samaritan was there. 
even took money out of his own account, his own donkey, to provide the assistance that was needed. Somehow the Samaritan had the proper perspective of the, of the principle that's laid out in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 and 36, that says, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me some clothes. When I was in prison, you came and you visited me. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. Somehow, somehow the Samaritan had a proper understanding of the principle outlined in Philippians 2 and 4 that says, Think not just of your own interests, but prefer others over yourself. Somehow he understood that such sacrifices were pleasing to God, as Hebrews 13 and 16 says. Somehow he understood the principle of even Proverbs 19 that says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and your reward from him is coming for what you have done. Somehow he understood Luke in earlier chapter, chapter 6, verses 38, which says to give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That will be poured into your lap. Somehow the Samaritan understood the principle amidst his difficulty that it's better to give than it is to receive, as Acts 20 and 35 says to us. Like a good neighbor, the Samaritan was there. And how many know like a good neighbor, Jesus has always been there. Pride never got in the way. His pride never prolonged our progress. Never. And thank God there was no privilege that, that promoted passivity on his part. In fact, the opposite. In Philippians 2, if you go back to there, it says he emptied himself. The Greek word there being kenosis. He, he emptied himself of divinity. Christ incarnate, taking on human flesh to feel like we feel and to live oh, the life we should have lived and die a death we should have died. Privilege didn't promote any passivity at all. And certainly he had a proper perspective that, that prompted proper pity. That even as we spit on him and ridiculed him and mocked him and even today turn our back on him and refuse to talk to him and question him with an accusatory tone. He says, oh, I still see your need. And I'm coming for you. I'm looking beyond your faults and I'm seeing your needs. Like a good neighbor, Jesus has been, is, and always will be there. Neighbors matter. Jesus asked the lawyer then, so which of these three was a good neighbor? Expert in the law said, the one who had mercy. And so Jesus said, well, go and do likewise. And I imagine a Charlottesville community that is full of good neighbors. A community full of those who will listen twice as much as we will talk. A community who will be there to bear one another's burdens. A community right here in our city that will, that will take an honest inventory of how we individually and corporately as a community look people in the face every day and walk to the other side of the road. I envision, as Dr. King would say, a beloved community. Neighbors matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. May this word drop 18 inches from our head to our heart and be applied to our lives in such a way that makes a difference, makes a difference in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors. Help us to love well. Help us to love well. If you're watching this and you have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ and today want to do so, so that you can love your neighbor in a way that only God can produce in you, 
so that you can pray for enemies who persecute you. Have the love of Jesus in your heart for those that ah, you just don't really want to. If that's you and you want Jesus to come in and change your life forever, pray these words with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And today I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I commit to following you with all of my heart. I recognize this does not mean a storm-free life. But I do believe it's a storm-proof one. And that in you, I can love well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please click the appropriate link that you see on the screen and let us know. Uh, for one, we are celebrating with you. The Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing over that commitment that you've made. We want to do the same. We want to celebrate with you by one, uh, sending you a free gift in the mail that will show you next steps in this walk of faith. Uh, and two, just praying with and for you and being uh, a community, if you will, a good neighbor to you in whatever way that means, whether you are near or far. We want to uh, be a support to you as you begin this walk uh, in Jesus Christ. If you're desirous of prayer, um, you can also, uh, whether you committed your life today or rededicated your life to Christ today or not, you just desire prayer, you too can uh, meet with our prayer team, prayer team who is waiting for you as well uh, beyond this space right now. So in real time, you can receive that prayer. Family, we love you uh, and we love, uh, we love the opportunity that we get together to be a good neighbors. And Victory Groups this week, uh, let's talk about the ways in our city. Uh, that we can be a better neighbor, uh, the ways that we can love well. Let's talk about the neighbors that we individually and corporately may not see well or we see, but we walk to the other side of the road. Let's talk and pray through how we can love better because neighbors do in fact matter. Love you, family. Let's live in victory.